0: When you think of amazing educational experiences, you think of the people you did it with and the teachers you learned from and the staff you worked with. We want to build the software that allows schools to actually at scale, maintain a relationship as a staff member with a student in some way and run all the operations to make that life easier.
1: My name is Ish Bade, and I'm the founder and CEO of Virtually.
0: And I'm Will Manon. I'm course director at Forte Academy. And this is reshaping education, where we discuss the future of education, including online courses, boot camps, and how the internet is changing how we learn. Hey, everybody!
1: Ish here today, joined by Lisa, John, and Joe Burches, of the founders of Built for Teachers. Lisa and Joe, so great to have you guys here today. Would you guys be able to introduce yourselves real quick? Please
2: sure, I'm happy to. Yeah, I'm happy to go ahead. I'm Lisa. I'm the founder of Built for Teachers, along with Joe. What more should I say-ish?
1: Yeah, and it would be great to hear a little bit about your background and how both of you worked your way to Built for Teachers
2: yeah okay. so uh, started my career, I've always been in tech or my career at Google was at Google for a number of years, was in the Bay Area when online learning and MOOCs became a thing and had met Andrew pretty early in my career. I was just really inspired by accessible education, but wanted to figure out like what would make those experiences more accessible. So I decided to go back to graduate school and got my master's in education MBA at Stanford. and then coming out of that product went up. Coming out of that program, I wanted to marry my product building experiences with um, the education space. And that's how I joined Flatiron School. And so I was the head of product there leading the product management and design team. And that's where I met Joe. So in my role there, I was responsible for all of the software that power the in-person and online learning experience, built that out. And after Flatiron School, I Uh, was recruited to Facebook, now Meta, and joined the internal learning and development team there to help them with their uh, digital transformation. So as head of remote learning, I was responsible for the technology roadmap for what we built or rented to power a more distributed remote first learning experience.
1: That's awesome, and and yeah, we definitely had have some overlap in terms of our passion for remote education. But then also, I think we we were at Facebook. Both at Facebook, though, I think you were there a little bit right after I was. Joe, how about how about yourself?
0: Yeah, so I myself, I'm like a software developer. I taught myself to code in in high school and middle school, and kind of fell in love with it. And serendipitously, I fell into teaching. It was one of the only people to get into education for the money. It was the highest paying job i could find for a summer gig when i was in high school and so i was taught kids like photoshop and macromedia flash at the time and fell in love with teaching in a way that i didn't expect and then went to carnegie mellon and, and enjoyed that time and was a teacher the entire time there left cmu graduated from cmu and worked at ibm for about 10 months when i was just kind of messing around with other ideas and other stuff and met my friend's friend who was the first one of the first students ever at Flatiron School, which is a boot camp that you know is based in New York City, one of the very first boot camps to hit the market. I then joined them as a first instructor, created an iOS program. So if anyone's technical, I wrote taught a class on Objective C and then eventually transitioned it to Swift when that came out. Built that class up from nothing, getting students, teaching them, and then helping them find jobs. Did that for a few years and then eventually took over the schools. So all of our in-person and online offerings, and then eventually also took over, was in charge of the schools and our education product offering. So curriculum creation, teacher training, how we actually deliver the material, all that stuff. Got acquired by WeWork in 2017, crazy ride. It got the opportunity to open about eight campuses in a year, um, expanded my team from 30 to, I don't know, 150 or something like that in a year and change. Got to that crazy hyper growth experience. And my last kind of act at Flatiron School, I was running corporate training, so doing sales, delivery, and kind of renewal and all that good stuff. And, and that's all. Lisa and I worked together at Flatiron School about five years. She was the doing kind of the technical products stuff. I was doing education product. I was running the schools, and so we were working very closely for most of that time.
1: Yeah. And, and we were just talking about this, uh, before we started the recording as well as, is, is we have a mutual friend and friend of the show, uh, Brian Tobel, who was also, uh, at Flatiron and is a previous guest. And yeah. I, I guess you guys worked at Flatiron together for a while. And on, on, on the podcast, we've talked a lot about the history of boot camps, really when the revolution started with this, you know, simple hacker news post in 2011, led to dev boot camp and this explosion of this kind of boot camps and new way of learning post graduation, specifically focused around adult learning, adult reskilling for highly relevant skills. So we've talked all on, at length about how much we believe in the future of boot camps, retraining, reskilling. Tell us more about your guys' experiences at Flatiron and what you guys learned and the key insights that led to the founding of Build
0: for Teachers. I can I can take that one. The thing that I think boot camps so MOOCs happened. And it was amazing. All of a sudden you had access to content that was obviously top 1% of all content. You have access to lectures by the most amazing professors, you had access to everything. And it was very exciting, but it turns out it kind of takes a superhuman to be able to take a MOOC and actually transform your career a large portion of your life. And I think the two or three years in, that's when actually four or five years in, that's when bootcamp started to happen. And I think boot camps. A lot of them were a reaction to the MOOC style courses. Of there's something here, which is if we do highly relevant skills, you can change your life. It's just that not everyone can learn with a MOOC, and boot camps swung the exact way on the side. by the way, they said, "Okay, look, we're gonna have 15 students, one teacher, super intense experience," and it worked. 90% Flatiron School, I think, was one of the best, but Many of the boot camps 90 to 95 percent graduation rate of those 90 to 95 percent got jobs. Like it worked. And what we found when you kind of look at the boot camp space over time is that that works really well, but it's just very expensive and very difficult to scale. I, I had to hire 70 or 80 teachers in a year, and, and that was absolutely brutal doing that. And so we have this MOOC on one side of the spectrum, which is no teachers just content, and they have super intense students, super intense, super intense like 15 to 1, 10 to 1 on the other side. But I think there's this giant gap in between 10 bucks a month, no teacher, $20,000, intense teacher, no little flexibility. And that's what I think we're really excited about and building a lot of the software that powers what happens there. Because what we've seen is that the way you need to do that, the way you find that middle, where there is teachers, but it is somewhat scalable, is you focus on a teacher and a staff-student relationship. At Flatiron School, when you can talk to anyone, it's even, it makes intuitive sense. When you think of amazing educational experiences, what do you think of? You think of the people you did it with, and the teachers you learned from, and the staff you worked with. And we want to double down on that we want to build the software that allows schools to be in that space and be in that ability to actually at scale maintain a relationship as a staff member with a student in some way and run all the operations make that life easier and that's i think the kind of key and that's actually kind of brian really honed in on the schoolhouse is how do we maintain these incredible student teacher relationships and he did that by just having figured out an economic model which allowed really tiny classes. like I think he was like 5 to 1, 4 to 1, something like that. That's great. But we want a, we want a world in which you can do 30, 40, 50 to 1 kind of staff to, teach, staff to student ratio and having a broader definition of what student-facing staff could be and, and all that. That's what we learned at Flatiron Schools that can provide amazing outcomes. I can talk about a few specifics. That's a really exciting space for us and where we're thrilled to be Operating in. Yeah. And and this is
1: something we've we've talked about a little bit before on the show is just this idea of uh, when it comes to online education, there really was online education 1.0, and then there's online education 2.0. And online education 1.0 was like these MOOCs, these online courses, which was all like the purpose was to make education more accessible. We have all this education out in the world. Let's get it out on the web. Online education 2.0 really feels like it's all about that transformation. How do you actually make it so that somebody can take this education and then transform their lives. And I think that is what boot camps have traditionally been really great at, is helping yeah. you get that transformation. And when we talk about like the inflections on all the education, I think MOOCs was obviously one of them, but I think really Zoom COVID 2017 to 2020 era, there's another inflection where you realize, hey, these are the same bootcamp model that you have in person can actually work online. Any programs like Uh, Lambda School really kick it off that revolution, but then nearly every other major bootcamp follows. Lisa, I I cut you off. He wanted to add something.
2: No. I was just going to add to Joe's points, I think two other sort of observations or insights from our time at Flatiron School. One is, at least from a product standpoint, so when I was at Flatiron School, we attempted to build our own um, homegrown learning platform solution. And so it had all the bells and whistles of a learner-facing student experience, teacher dashboards, tons of, I mean, everything you, you can list in terms of like, how do you deliver online? LMS, communication, discussion, chat. We even attempted struggle detection. We built from a software development side, like a really monolithic application that worked to really manifest our Flatiron School way of teaching, our pedagogy. And I think for a long time, I was obviously as a head of product, like really big believer in that like you, we had to build ourselves to really ensure that our learning experience, our delivery was exactly to a T how Flatiron School wanted to do it. I think my evolution and learning from that experience is that actually there's a lot of best of breed ed tech products out there and more and more coming onto the market. You take something simple as Slack or Zoom, that's like the go-to systems for delivery today for during the pandemic, across K-12, um, adult learning, whatever. Um, it's very hard for me to believe that an individual school especially should be building all these systems themselves um, and be able to compete at the enterprise level solutions that exist on the market. And so, this unbundling of the learning technologies to power a school was another sort of trend that we certainly experienced sometimes in a hard way at Flatiron School. That I think like more and more schools will start to pick and choose what works for them, what manifests their pedagogy best. But the challenge with that, that we're seeing, and when we talk to instructors and staff, is that's really hard to manage from like a system side. Like you have silos of data of what the student is doing and how they're performing. And you have a really hard time like managing the communications across all of these different uh, platforms. And so that's another kind of area that we're exploring and solving for. And then I think the third one is schools are no longer, um, students are no longer served just by one individual person it's oftentimes a team of people that are supporting that student. There might be instructors, there might be TAs, there might be student success managers, academic advisors. And those team of people, very similar to in healthcare, need a continuity of care. And if you talk about, especially in adult learning, where there's more flexible, self-paced curriculums and the experience could be stop and go and then return and lifelong learning, that kind of like customer kind of continuity of care I think it is a model that we need to be thinking more about how do we best uh, serve that student when there are multiple people and multiple touch points that they experience in their one and then sometimes multiple like academic journeys.
0: Yeah. Also, Go ahead, Joe. I was like, one last thing I think is like school that we learned is in a lot of schools, you can start to unbundle all the work that a teacher has to do. So right now, a teacher has to be, in a traditional school, a teacher has to be the motivator, they have to be the articulator of ideas. They have to be the grader and operations and follow-up person and kind of accountability coach. And they probably have to be some sort of educational coach, which is like, here is how to learn. Let's get good at learning. At Flutter School, and honestly at a lot of the other, you know places you've mentioned, actually and, and universities all over the place it's happening, they're starting to dis to unbundle the role of the teacher which is let's say a teacher just focus on articulating knowledge and helping students through difficult discipline-specific problems. But there exist amazing accountability coaches that can help you be accountable on, whether it's accountable to your history class or accountable, I don't know, to your diet program, that you can start to specialize and deliver a better product with multiple people helping a student out. And building on top of what Lisa said, we're seeing this happen with schools. There's, molt, there's many cooks in the kitchen. You know, As she said, the students are taught by teams, not teachers. And that kind of leads... We've been started to see that that then like breaks down a lot of the traditional operation stuff, because it's not just one person to rule. It's a whole team. And yeah. That's going to have an interesting space as well.
1: And what I'm hearing is you can kind of, as education goes remote, more so I think with remote education than in-person education, is you can use technology to scale a lot of the operations when it comes to teaching, which is really exciting. Though going back to Lisa, what you were talking about is it seems like and I, I've experienced this firsthand, having sp- at this point spoken to dozens and dozens of boot camps. Why is it that every boot camp feels the need to build their own learning platform? This is like across <laughs> the board. It, it just like, every single one that oh, I spoke God. to spends so much time to build their learning and platform, money. and it all yeah, it, it, like, it's just so much time, so much effort, and it's something you have to continually build and maintain. And what's interesting is that obviously this is something that Flatiron do. So I want to get some insight into like why you guys decided to build out learn. And then I now you guys are on the opposite side where you have to go to these schools and convince them to not build in house. I'm curious how you guys plan to do that.
2: Yeah, I, I have that firsthand experience. I think the motivation behind many schools doing this is the fold. I think on a business level, a lot of boot camps historically have been very venture backed. And I think there's a software growth story to be told when you can say you have proprietary software. So that's an honest truth of like just the incentive structure of venture backed businesses. I think on then a more educational level, I think there's just the worry that everything is not going to be exactly how we want it. And you see that in the classic kind of like product building challenge which is like in a lot of ways pedagogy feels really custom to every individual teacher or every individual program designer instructional designer and so there's something really attractive of being able to have an in-house product engineering team to make that real that those are certainly the challenges up ahead for us as we start to say, hey, schools consider a separate type of solution. Where I see the opportunity is that there are already um, most schools, I can't say all because I haven't talked to all of them, but most are using third party. There's not a world in which like they're not considering a Slack or a Zoom. They're not building like at that level of trying to I think no one thinks that they can now compete that. And so if you're already in a world in which you have some third party and some first party, I think like where we want to play is like, how do we just make um, it possible for you as the school to focus on less about that tech stack? And actually, can we be the building blocks or the infrastructure that allows the integrations of these technologies so that there's a more like orchestrated understanding of your student and um more ease of use and coordination for how do you handle student communications and outreach. So we're not trying to make I think our message and we're still in early days, but I think our message would never be to like say this it's either our solution or your own solution, but it's rather hey, you've got a lot of solutions on your table. Can we play a role in helping streamline those things for you so that your teachers and your staff can get back to what's most important, which is supporting and connecting with the student?
1: It's so funny you say this because you're right with the pedagogy point is every single bootcamp really considers this the kind of secret sauce, right? It's, oh, we teach in this really unique way. And so we need an LMS that fits this criteria or else we're we're never going to succeed. And so I think there's, I think it's a symptom of two things. This is what at least I've observed is one, it's that need for this really custom education as well as a lot of these boot camps being software engineering focused, because you're software engineering focused, you usually have access to software engineers, which leads you to wanting to build uh, these platforms as well. But I've seen firsthand how disastrous that's been for boot camps. Actually, Brian Tobel, one of the things that he advises boot camps against is building their own learning platform. And he went and contracted for a bunch of boot camps and basically got them to switch off to something like Canvas and Blackboard. So I I guess I'm curious, like, you guys did build, you know, at Flattery in your own kind of internal learning system. How did that play out?
0: It worked. We were able to do a bunch of really cool things. We were able to, I think we spearheaded something that a lot of people do now, of ask a question, which is this idea of, if you were struggling with an online program, you could ask a question into a group of TAs, like kind of junior instructors, any time, like, 18 hours a day, five days a week, or something like that. It was like, we had huge coverage. And that was amazing. That meant that our retention rates were rock solid. They were amazing. Students loved it. That wouldn't be possible without the stuff that we built. We did, I think, way in the day... We did in the days way before Replit and Glitch as a competitor in that space. We did automated grading where we were able to produce curriculum that had... In a single lesson, I think in the software engineering course we had 700 lessons. was like 400 were assignments. If we had to grade each one, it would be impossible. But because of our auto grader and tests and all that, we were able to do much more micro assignments that are, I think, are much more effective for education. Yet much better for education. Yet we didn't have that giant grading load, which kind of comes from a million micro assignments. So it worked. Ultimately, I think it comes down for a lot of schools down to Focus. Like, what do you? It's very hard to be a top You're. We're trying to get alternative education. We're, you know, all these schools they're pushing against the status quo every single day. The idea of you can't pay with a with a standard college loan, or no, there's no campus, or and you're constantly pushing just on the school side against status quo. Now, you also have to push against status quo in the LMS and engineering. It's just, there's only so much time and money and effort and brain space you can set aside for that. And I think that's what ended the decision for us for Flatiron School. And I know a lot of other schools are following to start to figure out where are we innovating on the software and where we, with some hefty configuration, we can get good. And I think that's where we landed is we knew we were innovating on our auto grading. We knew we were innovating on a few different places. And so I think and School stayed down that path. And there are places we weren't innovating on. The way we track attendance, we are not doing anything innovative there. Let's just use something off the shelf and it'll be 80% fine. And, and I think that's what happened. I imagine with more... To be honest, I was gonna say with more money, we maybe we would have made a different decision. I actually disagree. I think it, it's not just a money thing. It's a brain space thing. It really is. Like, there's people with much more money than modern school, but it's a brain space thing. Yeah. And I, I think that's what we came up against as hard as we tried.
2: Yeah.
1: And this is one of the conversations I feel like I have with online schools a lot, which is are you a school or are you a tech company? Because it's really yeah. hard to be both. Right. At the end of the day, you're going to spend a ton of time building this LMS, but is that your core competency? Is that where you want your kind of headspace to go? I think we're 100% aligned here. And I think Lisa, you alluded to where kind of you guys want to operate less so in terms of having these programs replace their core services with this interoperability. One place that I'd love to narrow in on is you guys talk about built for teachers is built for online schools, alternative education. What does that mean? It's still, I think we're still in the very, very early days of remote education. And so this, the term online schools is still a little bit vague to me. And I think everybody defines it a bit differently, but I'd be curious to hear your perspective. Who, who is your target customer?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. I think for us, we recognize that the current, the current world we live in, education being just happening on a Zoom call is not going to be the end state. I think there were, like you said, rightly so with the pandemic, like we're in this transition moment where I think schools are stripping back and trying to understand like what elements they are going to keep online and what elements, rightly so, for, the, for different types of learner audiences need to happen in an in-person setting. And so I think there's a lot of that's chaotic right now, if you will. And the people who are proactively trying to identify and almost like to what we've been thinking a lot about, which is like trying to unbundle the role of a teacher, unbundle the role of a physical classroom and unbundle or at least assign value to different technologies or applications. I think those folks who do that well, that sort of, um, I would say that would be the folks that I'd be interested in talking to more with to find where what we're building and and we learn, what problems can we be solving for that? I uh, think where we wanna play is in that when they are starting to think about a very complex tech stack, thinking about how the instructors or operational teams that have to support that, how do we make those processes that they take much more easy to use, much more flexible and automated and interoperable, as you say. That's I think like where I think there's a lot of value. That's where I think software plays places like mm-hmm. like shines. It's not in replacing anyone. It's not in trying to proclaim that we can do things smarter. I think over time these things might get there. But for now it's just like, what are they doing repeatedly every day that are not that are these like soulless activities that shouldn't live on the plates of um people that, that should really, you know, redirect that energy towards supporting the right student at the right time and building those connections. Back to your question, online schools, I don't think like we necessarily have to live in a pure, all the students have to be online learners. Now there's value to that. We will have more data to support those students because all of those actions can be measured for both the student and um, the teacher. But I think that there's definitely a world in which like um, for hybrid or even in-person schools where um, at a moment's notice, they have to be online for that day or that class, that data and those functions, workflows that the teacher is taking can be more smoothed out in the operations.
1: Yeah. And I think we're in the very, very early stages of online learning and there's me and Will, our, our co-host, when we talk about this, we are literally in the like first pitch of the first inning of online education. This is here to stay forever. And and we're really excited about it because if you can make education work online, you make it so much more accessible, so much more affordable. And you get to connect people who never would have been connected before. Instead of having to learn from the people in the same zip code as you can learn from anybody. And help me understand in this wide open space of remote education, what are the problems you guys are most passionate about solving? It seems like it will probably have to do with some of the experience that you guys picked up uh, from flat irons to school. One thing I know you guys had mentioned is talking about building our CRM for instructors. Is that still the focus? And if so, what, what does that look like Pro- productized?
0: Yeah. So we're in the early days of our journey. We got our first version out of the most MVP of MVPs to a few initial people and getting some great initial feedback. We're pretty excited about what's going on. And But what for us, the problems we're trying to solve is every time that you, that a company or a school feels that they need additional kind of operation support to make a class happen at scale. Either because they have a bunch of tools and they need some like one dashboard to pull it all together into one, or they have so many students that are doing all this different comms, right? You have, I need to email all the students who are running behind, all the students who are on time, all the students we have to you know, ask to leave the program, all the students. And then you do that email to 50 students and you get 80, you get 80 responses all needing different things right? It turns out that running these online classes becomes not just running a class, but it just becomes like a operational overload. And you just don't really... It's hard to figure out what's going on with your students. And so the problem we're trying to really solve is make sure that one, everyone who is a student-facing staff knows the student they're working with, even though they haven't maybe met them before or talked to them in the next last month. That's one, that's just making sure that's classic CRM, make sure we have all the data for that student in one place. And the next one is automating and workflow design to make sure that the operations that runs that, all the moving pieces are handled for you, right? You don't need to worry about the operations, whether it's because you're a giant, whether it's because you, it's all automated or because the reporting is done correctly or whatever. We want to make sure that the operations of running a school that kind of operates this hybrid space, a hybrid online space, is just taken care of for you. And I think that's our important two things. In the end, we hope that schools that will end up working with us, we can reduce, streamline their operational work. Hopefully, reducing operational over, overhead cost, and hopefully get the opportunity to increase student teacher ratio, student and uh, staff ratio. And then long-term, we do believe that if you know your student better and you communicate them with consistent consistency, you will increase retention. Like It'll happen. And, and so we want to also have kind of retention increases for those online programs, which I know have such a retention problem in general. And I take the usual caveat of we founded the company four months ago. So we are... You, know, you were talking... I'm hoping to play back this podcast in two years and, and realize either... Hopefully, how spot on we were but equally likely the various different meanders we took to find exactly where we wanted to be.
1: Oh, I totally feel that. Virtually is about to turn three, and I bet three years ago, I wouldn't have never anticipated who we are today. So it's, it's a fun ride. That being said, I think one of the things you're talking about is this idea of making it easier for kind of schools to have the data they need to make sure that their students have an exceptional experience. Empower them to know their students, understand where those gaps are, and then be able to act on that. And one of the things that gets me so excited about online education is that people are, you, people, teachers specifically, care about this. Because w- when I think back to my kind of you know, university experience and, and even K-12, to like this was not something that a lot of teachers cared about. And I, at least what we're seeing is one of the reasons why this, is a trend that is increasing is there's a shift in who is the teacher before it was mm. primarily somebody who was like isolated protected 15 layers away from really having to get students in the door like professors yep. they're they're going to have the same class of students every semester with very mild fluctuations now you have kind of teachers and programs where they're so close these are education businesses and the yeah. people who are running these businesses are edu we like to call them And they're responsible for making their students have that transformation and that they deliver on their problems because if they don't, the business doesn't do well. So I'm curious, what do you guys make about this kind of era of entrepreneurs, entrepreneurship and the tools that they'll need to succeed?
2: I think one thing I would push back or or just like a different lens, I would also consider this is that I think it's not just a trend in the individuals and in the profiles of those instructors today. But I think it's happening across education, this level of accountability and measurement of that. Now, I think I agree with you that it's maybe not at a like a traditional university setting, it may not fall in the hands of that individual professor. But certainly the business of universities and colleges, if you read any like higher ed article today, they're talking about enrollments. They're talking about placement and they're talking about are they still relevant to be the place of learning that gets the that person their first job or continuing jobs. Um, And they are competing at the same time with edupreneurs and and sort of these modern instructors and platforms that, uh, and boot camps that exist today. And so I think the pressure is happening across the board. And that's because there's been like a really kind of crazy wild ride where the, the common kind of sense of, oh, you need a college degree to do, it's proven that's not super clear that, you know, is that still matters. And, and I think in, in some ways, like employers are the ones who are driving that change because they're looking at skills in a really different way than they did in credentials. And so I would just add to that To that I think I agree with you, like entrepreneurs is like a whole new class of instructors onto the market. But I think that the need is there and the attention is also there for like traditional higher ed.
0: And also... On the topic of edge, like I think Lisa's correct, which is just universities. Everyone needs is now caring more about the business. On um, talking about entrepreneurs in general, I always think it's great. Um, I love the idea that more and more people are able to share their knowledge, and this idea that in a world where things start to become less and less physical, and your usually your career is based more on what rather than what you have, educators need to continue to persist as an amazing way to share what they know and allows people to get better and better and has more of an impact right on their life so i'm always excited about that i'm excited for people to be able to be entrepreneurs on the side and not have to do what lisa and i did of quitting our jobs and like reorganizing our entire families and finances and all that stuff around this but instead starting with the side gig and, and slowly picking up steam One thing i'm excited about is i think there's a lot of tools out there Working on the lead gen part of it, which obviously is critical. And then I'm excited for the next wave, which I think LaunchTri Virtually is doing is okay, great. You're starting to get people in the door. Now what? And now what in a way that allows you to have you as a side gig person or a, a job focus on the stuff that matters and the stuff that you enjoy and not focus on stuff you don't enjoy. And virtually handles a lot of stuff for you guys, for people so they can. Get back to oh, what do I do on this presentation or this event? I know I am interested in a world in which as a the entrepreneur becomes a really amazing side gig that can actually be. I think there's no such thing as actual passive income, but actually can be a little bit more passive and less like just the operational workload of running a school and a business. I think it's super exciting. I love that idea. I'm really curious to see how we make sure entrepreneurs produce a lot of transformational outcomes. I think that's critical. And I'm really excited to see hear people get new jobs. I haven't heard it yet, I don't think, but I know it's happening. Get people, get new jobs, change careers or whatever from a the class they took from an entrepreneur.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I know I, it's I,
0: happening. I haven't heard stories yet, but it must okay. be happening.
1: Oh, absolutely. One, one of the, I know I know we're running out of time, but we'll, one of the, the trends that is just the most exciting about this space right now is that. You don't have to be a professor or work for K to twelve to teach. So like teachers, yeah. I think one of the big shifts is like all you need is like a domain expertise and a passion for teaching, and you can teach. Yeah. online, Whether it's part time at a boot camp or even starting your own online education businesses, as we're seeing with a lot of cohort based courses and these yeah. kind of non traditional programs, and that's awesome because we need more education and we need more specialized education. That's where really where online yeah, education cool. is better than in person education is that. There's these very niche topics where it, is, it would be impossible for you to learn about in person because you just don't have access to the experts. But online, on the internet, people can, one, find the right experts, and those experts can build meaningful businesses. You actually, yeah, you look at some of the top court based courses right now, the topics are literally like organizing your life around Notion, note-taking, digital writing for Twitter, and people have built multi-million-dollar businesses around these niche topics because, again, you when your will loves to say those, which is on the internet, you can't think of percentages. You have to think about absolute numbers. Like point oh 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 one percent is still, if you can capture that percentage of your niche on the internet, could result in a seven-figure business.
0: Yep. Yeah. Exactly. And that. What that means is effectively, by going to school online, you're going to school at the largest university ever created, right? Like one of the benefits of going to whatever, Penn State giant university rather than a very small liberal arts school in Pennsylvania is at Penn State, you can take a class on anything because they just have so many students. Where at liberal arts college, you can, you're zoomed in a bit. I think online education and entrepreneurs and co-paste courses, Zoom means you have world's largest university. It actually makes sense for someone to actually run a thing on how to do note-taking in this niche note-taking app, which is crazy. Yet you can make a living on that. How amazing is that?
1: Yeah. And to geek, to geek out on it a bit more, it's, uh, sorry guys, this is what I think about all day, every day, but it's just also, I think really cool in that it's just, diverse thinking you get access to from day one you don't in person you think about kind of international students you think about where everybody's coming from geographically but like by default like it is like there's no borders separating from people from joining so the people you also meet during these classes is I think diverse and that's going to yeah. create more diversity in thought in and, and a faster it's going to lead to faster exchange of information and ideas which is I just think not positive for humanity.
0: And hopefully also it, it broadens network the network effects of education in an interesting way as well. Right.
1: Yeah. I love this idea of, that the mentioned is like the largest, you're basically joining the largest university, except you get to mix match across the instructors, across any niche, and you get to pick the syllabus. You get to pick yeah. like, hey, like a university will say, you need to take these courses to graduate. You get to decide, hey, I need to solve this problem in my life. What are all the courses that I could take online that helped me achieve this outcome? Which one, is pretty darn cool.
0: One problem I think is going to be interesting, and I imagine someone will build a business around this, is I imagine it can be a bit overwhelming to say, hey, I want to be a sales engineer. I don't know, whatever. I want to be a this job. Which courses... Like, No one course will get you there. How do you put together a suite of 10 courses that gets you there? I'm interested to see if Business comes up around that. I'm building those things, or kind of maybe like pathways and stuff like that. Because I think it can be a bit overwhelming when you don't realize that a note-taking course is a great course to take if you want to get into product management. It's not. It's not intuitive, especially if you've never been a product manager. Yeah, um, <laughs> I think that's always an interesting space. Yeah,
1: and and I I could geek out this on this topic for hours, but I know we're running out of time, so. With that, Lisa, Joe, so great having you guys on the podcast today. Do you guys have any last-minute plugs in terms of how our audience can learn more about Built for Teachers and keep up with you guys on social media?
0: Yeah. I'm. So for us, we're builtforteachers.com. What we're really looking forward... And when we say teachers, we mean anyone who does student-facing staff. We're really looking forward to talking to people who are running any scale of class and Aren't, aren't enjoying the operations or want more clarity on who their students are. To be honest, actually, just anyone, if you're running an online class of any scale, we want to talk to you and I believe we can help you. Yeah, so
2: that, you can uh, email us. It's lisa at billforteachers.com or joe but, at billforteachers.com.
0: Exactly. We do have one tool on our website right now that we have public, which is my um, daily exit ticket, our daily exit ticket tracker, which is what I use at Flatiron School and a bunch of schools use that to get a really quick read on how students are doing. So go to our website and click through it. You'll see it's an amazing... It just asks two questions every day of students and gives you a dashboard on um, how students are answering it. It's all through Google Sheets and Google Forms. And it's a really amazing tool to understand how your students are doing and allow you to adopt, adapt your kind of teaching style and pace and all that live.com <laughs> Or email us, I'm joe at buildforteachers.com. Lisa is lisa at buildforteachers.com.
1: Awesome. Thanks so much, guys, for joining us today. This was a blast.
0: Thank you. Thanks, Ish. Talk
2: soon.
1: Hey, Ish here. If you enjoyed that episode, Will and I would love for you to leave a review and a subscribe on your favorite podcast player. It really helps get the word out. If you want to keep up when new episodes drop, head on over to reshapingeducationpodcast.com or give Will and I a follow on Twitter. All the links will be in the show notes. With that, this is Ish and Will signing
2: off.